Welcome to Movie Maker. I'm Tim Malloy, and today we're talking about Still Working 9 to 5, a new documentary from Camille Hardman and Gary Lane that I hope you will get to see sometime very soon. Still Working 9 to 5 is about two things. First, the 1980 workplace comedy 9 to 5 that starred Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, and Dolly Parton as office workers terrorized by a sexist, stupid boss played by Dabney Coleman and how they get their hilarious revenge. Second, it's about the serious issues that the film tried to address, like pay inequity and sexual harassment, that we're somehow still dealing with today. The film debuted at South by Southwest earlier this year, just astonishingly good reviews. It currently holds a 92 on Rotten Tomatoes. And it features interviews with Fonda, Tomlin, and Parton, all of whom are icons. And yet, somehow, it hasn't yet gotten a distribution deal, meaning no one has bought it with the purpose of showing it to a wide audience. The filmmakers say the distributors they've talked to think their movie might skew too old or be demographically irrelevant. Well, that opinion may have changed Friday when the reversal of Roe v. Wade reminded us all how quickly legal rights and freedoms can disappear and that the fights of yesterday are still very much the fights of today. On this episode, we talk, for example, about the Equal Rights Amendment, which was written to guarantee equal legal rights for all Americans, regardless of sex. You may be surprised, or not at all surprised, to learn that this seemingly obvious notion is still not in the Constitution. We'll talk about why, and how its passage could change the fight over Roe v. Wade. Our guests today are still working 9 to 5 producers and directors Camille Harbin and Gary Lane, as well as Larry Lane, who is Gary's twin brother and an executive producer of the film. We're also joined by Zoe Nicholson, a writer, activist, and feminist icon who was featured in the film and has fought for about half a century for the passage of ERA. How can you see still working 9 to 5? Well, if you're a distributor, festival organizer, or someone else who wants to screen the film, um, feel free to email me at tim.molloy at moviemaker.com, and I will gladly put you in touch with the producers. You can also find the film on Twitter, at 9to5documentary. Or you can catch it in the festival circuit, where it's been very popular. In fact, it just played this past weekend at the Nantucket Film Festival, fantastic film festival, on the day Roe v. Wade was reversed. By the way, we've never had four guests before, so here's how you tell them apart. Camille, one of the directors, is the woman with an Australian accent. Zoe is the woman without an Australian accent. And Gary and Larry, the brothers, always identify themselves before they speak. Now, here's our conversation about still working 9 to 5. Thank you all very much for coming here on Movie Maker to talk about Still Working 9 to 5. Uh, I think it's an excellent movie. It became extremely relevant on Friday. We're recording this on Monday when the Roe v. Wade decision was officially reversed. And so the first thing I wanted to ask you is, did any of you anticipate that happening when you were making this film? Did you realize that it was as pressing as it was? I would say for, for me, this is Camille. Uh, I did not anticipate the overturning of the Roe versus Wade when we first started making this film. But as the stacking of the court continued, because we, we started making this film approximately, you know, four and a half years ago, um, you know, we, we came at it from a perspective of, you know, women's rights in the workplace, uh, me too, and, you know, what would happen and, and, and all the things that women were fighting for and against in regards to the workplace. And as the stacking of the court continued during, you know, Trump's tenure, we realised that, you know, Roe versus Wade was something that we realised could potentially be overturned. And I, I know Zoe would probably have a very strong pers perspective on this because she's been looking at all of these issues from a very for a very long time and uh, probably thinks that, you know, oh, I'll let Zoe talk. Um, but for me, no, not when I originally, you know, started making this film, but it became obvious that this potentially could happen. Mm. Zoe, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Well, this is Zoe. Thank you very much, Tim. I appreciate the opportunity to speak about this and particularly so close to this ruling. Uh, yes, we did see this coming. However, there, even on a broader point of view, 
What's interesting is the ERA was introduced into Congress um, in July of 1923 by Susan B. Anthony's nephew, Dan Anthony. Isn't that amazing? Um, And it's come close to passing a couple of times in these 99 years. 1940, it was expected to pass. Alice went home that day, the author, Alice Paul. She said, oh, well, that's it, that's done. Uh, we keep on getting thwarted almost magically. And it was very close with Virginia just having passed it two years ago mm-hmm. in January 2020. We had then fulfilled the two-year responsibility that the forefathers gave that it goes into effect two years after the vote of the majority, a supermajority of states. So I knew that they had to completely degrade, demean, disrupt, uh, to stop whatever way they could the collection of feminist power in America. Biden had promised to sign it or get it done. Harris had promised. It's on page 43 of the Democratic platform. But Roe was going to be the one way to completely unravel American women, and they did. And I also can't resist saying, actually, we should now be saying pregnant people because more people can be pregnant than women. And then this is Gary. I just want to say, um, you know, we were there in January 2020. We were filming with Zoe and Lily Ledbetter when Virginia did become the 38th state to ratify. And, you know, it's really important with our film you know, we have all the fun fandom of nine to five. We've got Dolly, Lily, and Jane. We've got the new duet with Dolly and Kelly Clarkson. But these women like Zoe and Lily Ledbetter and the younger generation of, of women that are in the film that are activists like Vanessa Farino, Lauren Ashley, these women have given their lives to this fight and this new generation are continuing this fight. So that's a big part of the still working nine to five message as well, besides just the fun fandom of nine to five. Yeah, I, I tell people in interviews sometimes, I used to love this magazine called Ego Trip in the 90s that was a hip hop magazine that was actually a magazine about race. It was a way of sort of Trojan horsing in talk about race. And I think you've done that really successfully with this film where people can show up and just you know reminisce about nine to five and how funny it is and how groundbreaking it was and just learn how the movie was made. But then they're also gonna learn a lot of history um, painlessly you know, for people who don't like <laughs> who don't like history. I love history. So I liked everything about the movie. Um, so one thing with ERA uh, in, in my reading, my understanding of why ERA did not succeed was Phyllis Schlafly, um, an anti-ERA activist who argued that it would permit same-sex marriage and that it would force women into the draft and that it would lead to abortion on demand. Um, obviously, Military has gone one way. Uh, same-sex marriage is now legal for the time being, hopefully continued. Um, but do you agree with Phyllis Schlafly that ERA would basically make abortion legal on demand? I'll leave that one to Zoe. Okay, thank you. Uh, I don't agree with Phyllis about anything and I actually know her. Um, I spent a whole summer with Phyllis in 1982 I, I think what you're really asking is what's the validity and why did it fail in 82 when uh, it really came up to the bat? Um, and I can tell you why, because women are the cheapest labor force in America. Hmm. The second reason is because the money stopping the ERA and actually funding the American Eagles, which Phyllis's group was the uh, health insurance industry. Women pay more and uh, get less coverage. And uh, it, it all has to do with money. It always does, it always will. It's really terrible. But, you know, maybe you were asking, so women have always been aborting. Cleopatra had an abortion. Uh, women used birth control for centuries. Uh, we, it only became illegal in recent history and uh, all they really wanted to do was make it more difficult and, uh, you know, kill the women who couldn't afford a good one. And I, I was about to add to that. I think that the biggest issue here is, you know, anyone who has money still has access to abortion. Anyone who does not have money 
does not have access and they will take means into their own hands or will go to places that do not have the best interest of the women at heart. And it becomes a lot more dangerous and lethal. And then there's child, children that are born into lower socioeconomic situations where those mothers, you know, this is getting to a very great a dangerous area that I might be talking about, but, you know, who don't have the means to look after those children. Some of those children then end up in, you know, in, in, in foster care or in orphanages or, you know, situations that's not, you know, always best for the child. So I, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's socioeconomically, it, you know, women who have money are still going to be okay. Women who don't, it's dangerous. And, and this is Gary really quick. I just want to weigh in. Um, you know, I think it's important for a lot of people to understand is, you know, Zoe has really opened our eyes. And in the film, a lot of people that have seen the film, they will tell us, I never really understood the ERA until the way you laid it out in your film. I never knew what the ERA meant, what it stood for. I didn't know that ERA hadn't passed. We've asked audiences at our film, raise your hand if you didn't know the Equal Rights Amendment never passed. Over half the audience always raises their hands. So it's just really important for people to know right now, if the Equal Rights Amendment was in place and women were protected under the Constitution of the United States, this whole Roe versus Wade attack could not have happened, or it would have been harder to happen because women would have been protected. That's a big thing, a big reason I'm asking, because a lot of people are saying, well, there's really nothing we can do at this point. It's going to take years to get another two Supreme Court justices in there to reverse this ruling. I'm wondering if there's kind of a way to do it faster via ERA. Um, and I know this is a movie podcast and we will talk about the movie, but it's not every day that I talk to a Zoe Nicholson um, who might know the answer to that question. Thanks, Tim. I, I was sort of hoping to get this in. I think it's really important. You know, we're, you and I are going to go mindfully vote on November 8th, and the people we voted for hopefully win, and they're going to get sworn in in January, and maybe they'll introduce a bill by mid-March, and that bill will sit in the House and probably pass the House and not the Senate. In other words, I don't want the lives of women resting on what happens in politics. I want the lives of women resting on their access to their own agency, their physical autonomy. First of all, I want every woman who has a period tracking app on her phone right now to, or his phone right now to delete it instantly. It is going to be used to track people. The second thing I want them to do is order pills right now. Let's say you are post-menopause and you have some spare money. Please buy all the pills you can afford, put them in a drawer and have them for whoever needs them. Uh, and lastly, I think it's really important that we form pods as we did when COVID hit, where we actually take responsibility for 25 friends that we know we will pull our money, our resources, find our aunt who lives in a free state to get our friend who lives in a locked state to get to uh, an uh, accessible, safe abortion. I think it's a mistake for us to believe that reliance on the Supreme Court or uh, on even the legislature is not what is it, piecemeal. It's a Band-Aid, it's temporary. There's only one thing that would be permanent, far sweeping, last uh, for a long, long time. And that would be an amendment to the United States Constitution. And could ERA be that amendment? It already is. In fact, that they would just publish it. They have already done everything the forefathers requested. They did a supermajority of states. They, the forefathers never mentioned a deadline. Um, and we have been two years from the passage. So in theory, if the Bill Barr memo, who is just holding it up, was deleted, as Biden said he would do, uh, we would have had the ER go into effect on uh, in January of 2022. And, you know, that's why we're all sitting around going, well, what the hell is happening? That's fascinating. I'm surprised more people aren't talking about ERA today. Um, I mean, I'm sure many are, but not as not as many as I would expect, given what you just said. Um, to talk about the movie, and I know there are a lot of issues affecting women in the workplace besides abortion. 
Um, this movie is a really good, a really good look at the state of sexual discrimination in 1980 when the movie came out and also now. Um, just on a personal note, I saw this movie with my mom in 1980 she took us to the drive-in to see it and i don't think i realized like the the incredible historical moment that we were in that my mom was like really one of the first generations uh, really the first generation where a large number of women were like going into the workplace and doing offices alongside men many of whom were like what are you doing here um and so i appreciate nine to five and i appreciate this movie for really spelling that out what was your intention in revisiting nine to five? Why did you think this was the way to do it? Camille. Uh, so I, you know, when Gary and Larry came to me with the original idea, um, you know, I found it fascinating once I looked at the history of the, where the original uh, film came from. So Karen Nussbaum and, um, uh, Ellen Cassidy had created this organization with secretaries and you know all of the issues that had affected them you know equal pay it, 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 well it actually started out very simply with respect they just wanted respect in their workplace they you know they wanted equal rights they wanted well equal pay they wanted to um you know, even just uh, have a, a job description. I mean, that was the big thing in those days is no one actually knew what their job was. You know, they were peeling carrots. They were um, sewing up men's pants, their boss's pants. They, they were women who wanted to be respected and to be taken seriously. So a job description would have been great for them. Then, you know, moving a little bit later, it was all about, you know, equal pay, it was about, you know, what do they do when they have children? You know, what, what, you know, they had to go home. They had to look after their kids. They also, you know, wanted uh, childcare. And then there was sexual harassment all over the shop. I mean, it was just constant that their bosses were not treating them well and treating them basically like their, you know, their wives or, you know, were just, you know, running around the office after it was, it was, you know, terrible behavior. So for me, it was, you know, we have to show what happened. And also, this was also just after me too. And it was like, a lot of these things haven't changed. You know, why are we still dealing with these issues 40 years later? So that was really important to me to showcase the history and the, the fact that a lot of things, you know, just hadn't changed. And then we wanted really Larry. with the movie, this is Larry, we wanted with the movie because we were looking at it, we wanted to kind of document nine to five because it had been a movie, it had been a television show, it had been a song, it had been a Broadway play. And in 2018, the ladies, Dolly, Lily and Jane, they all wanted to come together and do a sequel. So we're like, you know, this is still relevant 40 years later, what movie has that? So then we tied that in with the women's movement. We worked pretty seamlessly, you know, tying that timeline together. And, and, still, and yeah. this is Gary, I'm going to be honest, we didn't know a lot about the ERA and a lot of the women's rights issues. So in meeting these amazing women like Zoe, like Lily Ledbetter, you know, Ellen Cassie, Karen Nussbaum, these women have opened our eyes and we've, we've got a, a fight to fight for them. And I do remember seeing this movie at like 13 with our mom. And I remember realizing there were some dark overtones with the boss and, and asking our mom, do you have to deal with this at work? And she would say, I don't personally have to deal with this, but a lot of women do. So that was just like, the, you know, there's little seeds there that I think brought this to a full circle moment in 2018 when we got with Camille and decided we wanted to make a, you know, a documentary about nine to five and what it really stood for at the time. And, you know, you have to say now, Larry and Camille both said 40 years is 42 years. So we're counting on down the timeline from nine to five. It's just getting more and more time that change still needs to happen. I'm so glad you said 42 years because after I said 1980, I was like, wait, was it 1980? Was it 1981? So it was 1980? Yes. Okay. 1980. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a really important movie. And I think there's a bad version of nine to five where no one would be talking about it now because it would have been very serious and very, um, you know, accurate in what it said, but there would be nothing to make people pay attention and listen and think this is going to be a fun movie. There'd be no opportunity to sort of Trojan horse in important messages. And I think that's one reason the movie is so good. I, I love that Jane Fonda decided to bring in Dolly Parton, who's kind of 
rightly or wrongly seen as like a red state icon, not that there were red states then, not that we use blue state and red state. Um, but, you know, it isn't, everybody, everybody kind of already knew what Jane Fonda thought going into the movie. I think Dolly being there was a surprise and kind of opened the door to some audiences that might not have otherwise seen it. Is that the case? I actually think that, uh, go Gary. Um, I was going to say, yeah, uh, that's definitely the case because, you know, Jane had even said, oh, Dolly will bring us the South. And then Dolly very famously said, I'll bring more than the South, but I'll, I'll bring them too. Um, but yeah, I think Dolly, like you said, did bring a lot of eyes to it that might not have seen it. And we all know sitting here, the South is, you know, pretty much the backward states that really need to, you know, they're the red states that are having issues with a lot. And of we're things. from one of them. North and we're, we're from one of them, but they need to make a lot of positive change for a lot of things race reform, gun control, women's rights. There's a, you know, and it's typically the South that's always a couple of decades behind. And Camille, you were saying? Yeah, I, I was gonna say, I actually think it was very, very clever of Jane and Bruce to do that. Um, and as you said, it was a Trojan horse. I think Dolly, I think I'd, even Dolly herself knew that it was contentious at the time. She knew Jane's reputation, but she also, you know, this was a, a huge opportunity for her to be in a film, to do something she hadn't done, but also Dolly Parton is a very strong woman in her own right. She has always talked about, you know, even in her early songs, she's talked about being you know, strong, uh, being a strong woman. And if you look at her entire history, she is no pushover. She is an example of how you can be yourself, but be a woman in business, be a successful, um, strong person and have conviction. And a lot of people look at her and say, this is the type of woman that I want to be. And I think that, you know, Dolly, Dolly knew what she was getting into, and I think she she made a great choice. Yeah, just personally, I love Jane Fonda and I love Dolly Parton. Um, and I think there's a like people kind of knew what to hear from, what they were going to hear from Jane Fonda. But when Dolly Parton says it, maybe it's the accent, maybe it's that the music is so good. People don't look at it as like a political message. They just go like, oh yeah, that's common sense. Like, of course, like, of course, women should be equal in the workplace. Of course, there shouldn't be sexual harassment. Like, of course. Um, while when Jane Fonda says it, they might think it's political or something instead of just, yeah. you know, human decency. Is there a way to, to get that across now? I mean, to kind of get everybody on the same page in terms of like, that's just human decency. That's just fairness. I mean, when we're what brings me to this, and I'm sorry for kind of a long windup. Um, I happened to go to a Catholic church in Texas a couple of weeks ago for family reasons and had never really been in one, especially in Texas. I've been in Catholic churches and there was lots of um, pro-life literature all over the place. And I'm like, I've never actually seen this stuff up close. I'm going to read it all. So I read it. And what struck me is that almost no, really none of it, nothing I read was saying, you know, we want to take away women's rights or women should be in the home or anything like that. The message that they go with is, um, and I think they believe this, we're preserving the sanctity of life and we need to help um, poor and unwed and young mothers. Um, that That's sort of their solution. And of course, they also want to reverse Roe v. Wade. Is there some opportunity here nationally in, in this very strange moment for people on both sides to find kind of a Dolly Parton, a kind of unifying figure who could say, look, while we fight this out in the courts, we need family leave. We need greater daycare for kids. We need more opportunities for, for poor children. We need food banks. We need things for all of these children who, have, who are going to be neglected as soon as, neglected is the wrong word, who are going to be denied opportunities as soon as they come into the world, neglected by our country as soon as they come into the world. Mm. Uh, this is Gary. I'll just say really quick because I I really want Zoe to answer your question as well. There's one thing that Dolly says in the in the movie that holds true. It's the line over all of it. 
it's not a matter of politics, it's downright fairness. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the, the motto that we're living by. And we've had a lot of people say that Dolly and our documentary opens up a lot more than she ever has because she's very middle of the road. But you hear her talking a lot about the ERA, the equal rights stuff that she's never said in any other film she you know gave to our film. Go ahead, Zoe. Well, uh, having been raised Catholic and my degree are in Roman Catholic theology, I have some familiarity with what you Yes, you do. Uh, but I do want to stop for a moment and, and disallow, you and I are going to stand strong, lock our elbows, and disallow the strength of their message to hoodwink us into thinking it controls the majority of Americans. It does not. The majority of Americans are very much pro-choice. Yeah, majority of Americans, rich, poor, any religion whatsoever, they not only believe that um, abortion should be legal and safe, but they use it. (laughs) And and I was a Catholic high school teacher, and we had to take our girls to Mexico City. I was teaching in Los Angeles. We had to take the girls uh, to Mexico who needed an abortion. But, uh, you know, we... We have had our workarounds, but don't be hoodwinked into thinking that Ginny Thomas's idea is our idea. I want you and me to stand tall and to listen to Anita Hill and Christine Blasey Ford and uh, understand that we had all the information we needed. The politicians simply are making decisions based on money. Yes, what I'm saying is, you know, I'm pro-choice, but what I'm saying is for the time being, it seems to not be the law of the land. We can argue about why it got there. I mean, certainly uh, everything you just mentioned, uh, Anita Hill not being believed, um, the whole Kavanaugh situation, you know, there are certainly dicey reasons that the Supreme Court is the way that it is, but they made that decision. So given that they made that decision, is there some way for people who strongly disagree on the legality of abortion to, I hate to make this sound so dumb, but come together for the kids, like to come together for, to use this as a way of saying, all right, conservatives, you've been saying all this time that you're pro-life. Why don't you become pro-life when they're out of the womb? Why don't you be pro-life in terms of schools, in terms of daycare, in terms of family leave? Like, isn't this kind of the moment to say, all right, you got what you wanted. Let's see your vision of the world. I'm happy for you that you know that, and we could spend an hour driving around looking for Similac. Um, but all the same, uh, I do. I understand your question fully. I don't have a really decent answer because they're the minority, and I don't want to spend a moment trying to figure out what to do with the minority. I want to figure out how to em- empower the majority which are uh, women and people who can be pregnant. And yeah. this is Gary, uh, go, go Camille, go. No, I was gonna say, I think that only uh, that argument only works if you're a part of that congregation. So I'm getting a little bit, you know, if you're not a part of that congregation, what happens and the majority of the people aren't a part of that, you know, the, the particular congregations that do actually believe in, um, in, in, in pro-life. So I, again, I, it's, it's, it's getting very political. I mean, this is, the, this is the first time from what I have read and Zoe would know more. I'm, I've been in, and I'll be honest, I've been in Europe for the last three weeks. I'm, I'm still in Europe. I've been in a lot of Catholic church, churches lately. Um, and I'm not as well read about this at the moment as I should be. But from what I have read, it is the first time SCOTUS has really gone against public opinion. And I think that's a very, very dangerous situation uh, for our, you know, for America, because if it can go against, uh, you know, Roe versus Wade, this is just the beginning of many other things that can be overturned as well. And I think, you know, if we allow this to happen and don't speak up now for women and women's rights, it will just keep turn. It will, you know, potentially contraception could be the next big target, which is huge. I know that's the next on Clarice Thomas's agenda. Um, I don't know if that is a potential, but if it is, we're in a very dangerous situation. 
And, and this is Gary, I'm just going to weigh in because if you just look at the country, women have always been stacked against women were not there when the Declaration of Independence was signed. Women have not been in the conversation. They just got the vote 100 years ago. The ERA just passed 50 years ago. They just flipped not ERA, not, not, not the ERA, uh, Roe versus Wade. So what stops them from going back another 50 years and taking the vote away? Like that's the direction we're going because these men that are running the Supreme Court and men that are running the country and people in the Senate like Mitch McConnell, who is like the grim reaper of death, he's just sitting on gun reform bills. He's sitting on race reform bills. The ERA bill to strike down the 1982 deadline to say it was unconstitutional passed the House in 2021. It's been sitting on his desk for a year. It needs to just pass the Senate and the ERA will be ratified and Roe could not have been attacked. So when I just feel like, you know, we have to look at the film that we've made. Yes, we may bring you in with, oh, Dolly Lily Jane, this movie, look what it really meant 40 years ago. Fun, fun, fun. But then we're also telling you the Equal Rights Amendment has been a through thread. Me Too has been a through thread. All these women's activism things where they've tried to rise up and take power back. We're showing you the timeline. We're showing you in a fun way to get your butt in that seat. But then when your butt's in that seat, we're going to give you a message that you need to know for young daughters, for your nieces, for your cousins, for your aunts. This is a message that needs to get out there. And that's what we're trying to do. Yes. So, Tim, if I can interrupt right here, because I want to pile on to what Gary just said. Mm -hmm. um, the principal thing I study isn't really the ERA. It's how change occurs in society. It's mm -hmm. all I've ever thought was interesting. And um, change occurs in society, not through the politics, not through the courts, not through the laws, but through the arts and through the culture. And a few minutes ago, you were asking, like, who is the common voice? The common voice rises up through the arts, through murals and painting and theater and song and movies. And so to see, I just got, I gave myself chills here. I hate to say that out loud, but I did. The very idea that still working nine to five is going to be in theaters and streaming and teachers are going to use it. And it's going to be shown in gender programs in universities and colleges around the world. They're going to laugh like heck as Jane uh, says she doesn't do M&Ms. But eventually when they get through in the second half, they're going to, girls are going to go home and say, mom, did you get paid as much as that guy who does your job? I want to know. That's how culture changes. Uh, and, and that is uh, the every man, the every woman you were asking about, Tim. Yeah. And to go back to, to what I was saying before, if I could just clarify something before moving on, I'm not talking about not trying to reverse the reversal. I'm talking about are there parallel paths that people can do mm -hmm practically um, as they also simultaneously fight for the reversal of what the Supreme Court just did. Um, but I wanted to also ask, you know, this movie is looking back at 42 years ago. Um, we've been through the Me Too movement. I wasn't working in Hollywood. I was working covering Hollywood for all of it. I've been covering Hollywood for all of it. And it, there does seem to be an impression that if you're able to document sexual harassment now, document it, whether through texts or emails or something, witnesses, concurrent accounts, which is not easy to do, but if you yeah. can do it, um, that person, the person who harassed you is gone. Um, am I wrong about that? And the other thing I wanted to ask is what has improved since the original nine to five and what has gotten worse? Uh, you want to do the what's gotten worse part and then and then Zoe? Yeah. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I think what's gotten worse is people, you know, we, we're in a different work situation than we, we once were. I think there's a lot more people and women in the gig economy. Um, I think that... You know, we do not, for a lot of people, they don't necessarily, like in the film, um, they had a boss. They had an HR um, division of a company. Uh, for a lot of people, that doesn't happen anymore. 
Um, right. You know, they've got, it, there's this unknown boss, you know, someone they call, it can, every time it's a different person because you're dealing with, you know, a, a temp agency. Um, you know, you look at Uber, you probably look at um, some sort of, you know, Amazon, maybe they probably do have an HR company, but there's, there's you know, situations where, you know, they're, they're um, uh, um, you know, they, they, they just don't know who their, their, their boss is. And so for those people, I think it's, it's very, very difficult. They, you know, they, uh, yeah, I, I'm No, sorry. that's an excellent point. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Zoe? I had the good fortune of actually advising all the Cosby victims on a super calls every week. Yeah. They were trying to sort out their courage, their ability to testify, and I have too much. <laughs> so uh, I got to know them pretty well. And, you know, let's just not use Weinstein as our example. Let's not just use uh, Epstein as our example. But Bill's home with Camille and just wrote a big fat check to cover what he did to a 16-year-old in the Playboy Club. Mm. Uh, Things are iffy at best. Yeah, I, I guess I'm coming from the perspective of, I got so many calls and emails during me too from people who had documented cases that they could, that they could prove fairly well um, and got to write some stories or, or edit stories that led to people who were definitely people who are clearly abusing their power, losing their power. Um, but yeah, it's, it's true that it's very difficult to document that. And it's very difficult. It's difficult to come forward in the first place. So I don't want to give that short shrift in any way. No, I think you have to look at the women. There's a, there's a lot of women that have been very courageous, but the thing is, you know, the, sometimes the court system, it's, it, it's, it can work against people, you know, and it, you have to open up your entire life. So if you you may be able to document things, but then, you know, I, I've had friends who were in, actually involved in the Harvey Weinstein um, case, and it is a long-term, you know, those things, you know, those court cases and litigation last for two or three years. Yep. And when some of those women look at, you know, I'm going to be crucified on the stand. I am going to, my entire life story, most of the time, will be opened up. Um, if I have done anything else in the past that's slightly dodgy, that will be brought that has nothing to do with the case at hand. So do you want to put your entire life on the stand? And a lot of women aren't prepared to do that they have families they have jobs they have careers and so that a lot of that stops a lot of women and so there was a lot of men that got away as well as a lot of you know there were women who were prepared to do that as some of my friends were but there were a lot of women that are not prepared to do that and a lot of those men you know have gone have gone off scot-free and continue to do things. And I think the one thing with our film, you know, in it, we were, it, you know, it's very important is we have the, you know, try and find other women in your situation within the office, whether it's sexual harassment, whether it is not getting paid enough, whether it's lack of maternity leave, there is strength in solidarity. And that is the best message you can tell people. And that's what we have tried to do with our film. Yeah. Is there anything you wanted to say that just hasn't come up in the questions? Like anything that is getting lost here that you really want to communicate? Um, well, this is Gary. One thing that I think is really important, the message is what is the most important. So what I've always said to Camille in spending two years to chase down Dolly and Lily and Jane and people for these interviews to sit, be able to say, you've got a nine to five cast reunion to go through two out, two years of headache between Dolly Parton and Kelly Clarkson to get them on the same page where they can create a new nine to five duet. It's a lot of headache, it's a lot of hassle, but those are the little tidbits 
that are going to make people want to see this film. And then they're going to meet people like Zoe, like Lily Ledbetter, people that we've compiled into the story that go along with the nine to five timeline that intersect with the women's rights timeline. And that's why I'm so proud of this film. I'm so proud that we had Orit Rees and Eliza Benora were our two editors and they created this beautiful story through Zoom, Zoom meetings with me and Camille and Larry laying it out. And I think we've done a wonderful job because as Camille said, you can't preach to the converted because the people out there that have already seen the ERA, the, you know, the women's rights message, they might not come see this a film if it was just on that topic. We have to bring them in with the fandom of nine to five, but we feel the way we've done it, we will do justice for everyone. We feel like the nine to five fans will be happy with what we've created. And we feel like the working women's right and all of these women that have been fighting their whole life for this change are well represented in this form that can bring change. And this is Larry. The other thing that we've really got working for us is, you know, Dolly Parton has redone that duet with Kelly Clarkson and Kelly Clarkson is a whole new demographic. That's going to be coming out in the next couple of weeks and it's going to be everywhere. And it's going to be from the new documentary, Still Working 9 to 5. And they're going to ask Dolly and Kelly a million times, why have you decided to redo the song after all these years? And she's going to go right into it. So we know Dolly and Kelly are both going to be promoting it, which will bring in more audiences around the world. That's fantastic. The other thing I want to ask is, I think there's an impression among non-filmmakers that everybody who has a movie out must be a millionaire. Um, they can just screen light whatever they want them to <laughs> We're choking um, <laughs> you know that, that they just had all these cameras lying around and that that's the barrier to entry but there's a lot of people who have a story to tell um who don't have any money who don't have any connections and they just have to somehow find a way to tell that story what was your situation when you started this what were your connections what were your you know advantages over someone else to tell the story how did you get it going i mean how did you get it to the point that it was happening that it was a real thing Camille, yeah. you go first. Oh, I'll, I'll go first. Um, well, we we reached out to Camille because we really wanted to do this idea. And, you know, that's what we had to start with. And then obviously, I would say if someone is going to make a film, try to find funding first, because many of us on this call right now have gone out of pocket. And, you know, we believe in the vision, but we are out of pocket. We would not recommend you do that. Um, another thing I would say is if you're going to have a lot of archival, which we have over a thousand articles of archival photos, video, it's not an easy documentary to make. So if you're going to have archival, start closing in on getting the rights on that archival from the beginning, because it took us well over a year to get all of that cleared. Um, and then I would just say, if you've got a vision, do it. We were very lucky because me and my brother have done a previous documentary called Hollywood to Dollywood, where we interacted with Dolly. Dolly let us use music for the film. So Steve Summers, who is an executive producer on this film, we told him about the idea of what we wanted to do. And he said, I think if I can get Dolly to sit down with you, that may help you open doors. And it did, because that helped us get Alice and Janney, Rita Moreno, Lily, you know, Jane, everybody came on after Dolly. So that was a blessing. And we know that. So we appreciate Steve and Dolly's camp for believing in the film and, you know, to see, Do you know, Dolly's been on Inside Edition. She was on Kelly's show. She's talking about the documentary. She's talking about the new duet. So with us being fans of Dolly, that means more to us than anything that she's really embraced the film that, that we have created. And then I, I will add to that, um, you know, having all of those wonderful women being a part of our film was a blessing and a curse in regards to funding. It was a blessing because they said yes and they were in it. It was a curse because everybody thought we had money when we were approaching other people for money. Mm. So it was like, oh, that's okay. You're going to be okay. You're going to get, you know, other people funding this. We want to fund more disadvantaged documentaries. Mm. So every group that we went to for funding um, we're very much like, no, this isn't for us because this is a star film. We're looking to fund, as I said, more disadvantaged films. So we ended up, you know, really funding this entire thing ourselves. We never got any money. Um, we got, sorry, we got one funder involved, which was Artemis Rising, 
who, and that's Regina K. Scully. Uh, she was absolutely amazing. Um, but the rest of it, we funded ourselves. The majority of it was Larry. And then I put, a, you know, quite a large chunk in myself. Um, so that that became, a, a, you know, it, it, a little bit difficult because everyone sort of saw us as the star film that was going to be easily sold and easily funded by somebody else. And it wasn't necessarily the case. God, I wish people understood that. The fact that you interviewed, you know, Eli Musk doesn't mean you have Eli Musk money. Like it's- Yeah, exactly. Right, right. It, you got, you may have gotten three hours of that person's time, but that doesn't mean that they're behind the film or whatever. It's, yeah, I, I wish people understood that. So what's the struggle like for distribution now? Um, you're doing very well on the festival circuit. You have a lot of invitations to a lot of great festivals. Um, how long do you think it is before people can see this movie? you know, at home or in a theater without going to a uh, festival. Although yeah, I mean, festivals are great too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I, I think, you know, we're talking to a distributor at the moment about a theatrical release. Um, we're also talking to, uh, to streamers. It's interesting, since we've been doing this podcast, um, Gary and Larry don't know this because it just came in, Hot Docs have just asked us if we wanted to do a theatrical release um, in Toronto. So that came wow. in like about three minutes ago. <laughs> so we're constantly, you know, getting people asking us, um, you know, uh, you know, to be a part of the theatrical release or screenings. But we're sort of, you know, working out the best deal for us at the moment. And, and this is Gary. I will also say, I mean, we would definitely love to thank Dolly and Kelly Clarkson's camps because they they're all behind this duet they know this duet is going to be a hit because it's a new slow and haunting version it's just nine to five reimagined but it's more haunting now because when you really hear the lyrics and where we are 42 years later so they know this this song is going to be a hit it's going to resonate with people around the world they've actually held back releasing it waiting for us to find a streamer or a distributor on a wider level which is actually amazing so it was created for our film yeah so we appreciate <laughs> that so much and i think dolly has really spearheaded that and shane McAnally, who he's just amazing he was won grammys he's an ep on the film he created that vision for this new duet that gets to be a part of our film forever so we we thank everybody involved with that and holding it back to try to help our release be even bigger totally and that's atlantic records that has held it back too so that's pretty good Amazing. Well, far be it for me to question Netflix, but they seem to have an obsession with documentaries from the 70s and 80s. And aesthetically, this is like right up their alley. So I don't know why they haven't jumped on this. If anyone from Netflix is listening, um, <laughs> I think this would be a top 10 movie for Netflix. Thank, thank you, Sam. We've uh, honestly, from our sales agent, we've heard things like volatile market, shaky market, Mm. cut down on spending so we're hearing all these younger demographics younger demographics so we're we're hearing all these terms now that we've kind of landed in this market after our south by southwest premiere but we're not giving up and we have no choice there's we, there's no give up in us because we're all invested in this film so much yeah and, and i think going to tim what you were saying about netflix i mean Look at Jane and Lily. They're yeah. all over Netflix. <laughs> and so is Dolly. You know, she's got her heartstrings. She got a documentary. So, you know, this really ties well with all of, you know, their sort of work that they're already doing. So, you know, we think that that could be a great home as well. And I, I, I blow Camille's mind every day. This is Gary. Because not only was Dolly on the last episode of Grace and Frankie, which was a Dolly, Lily, Jane reunion there, but then also Lily and Jane just did a comedy series on women in comedy last week that dropped on Tuesday. And I called Camille. I was like, Camille, the whole opening montage is to nine to five. And Jane and Lily are trying to get to the, you know, the amphitheater to perform and all the comics coming out like Margaret Cho and all them talk to Lily and Jane and talk about how much nine to five and the film meant to them. So you just can't tie it in any better, but you know we can't force them to buy it. We're hoping that maybe with all of this thing that's happened now with Roe and being a women's rights documentary and women getting fired up and galvanized, they may want to see this, this film come out. That's what we're hoping. Yeah. Um, just to close this out, I, I know we've been talking about the movie specifically, so we haven't heard from Zoe Nicholson in a while, but can I just ask, how do you stay motivated? I mean, you've had so many ups and downs. That is the number one question. Yeah. 
uh, and uh, I, I happened to watch uh, Still Working 9 to 5 just uh, last week. I, Since I'm in it, I get to, you know, sit and bask in it and watch it. What fun do I have? There's a moment in that movie where I talk about change comes in waves. And I think old white ladies in particular, because it, it was old white ladies that were working on this at first. Well, I cannot tell a lie. But... Um, Change comes and goes in waves. And what I have to say now to the 21-year-old, to the 18-year-old who just think it's the end of the world to say, no, this is how the world actually works. It's a high surf and you need a long board. <laughs> but, uh, you know, this is exactly how it works. And uh, I, I stay motivated because I know that. That is what I know. I was on the steps of the Supreme Court for Edie Windsor in June of 2013. I was in the streets of Chicago in 1968, taking a billy club across the head from a guy on a horse with a uniform. Uh, I do it because this is how uh, I want to be at the, the edge of where change is occurring. And it moves by issues and it moves through the culture. and. Uh, and I also think that the divine is sort of an odd thing to say here, but I think the divine sort of held things up because still working nine to five coming out in this quarter of 2022 to this old lady seems like some kind of miracle, like it was held up because this moment is the precise, most perfect moment for this movie to be out and to be seen. Do you, are you a believer? That's that's super interesting because I know some people will think that you've probably turned your back on the Catholic Church and everything else. Oh, I left the Catholic Church for one simple reason: I wanted to be a priest, and they wouldn't let me. Uh, <laughs> and um, so I actually converted to Buddhism when I was twenty-two, and I am um, a celibate Buddhist monk now. So, um, but I believe in engaged Buddhism, and it's through the arts and through the work and. You know, it's, it's what you do with your life. It's not something that happens in a building down the block that's unlocked on Sundays. <laughs> I don't know if I should say amen, but uh, my sentiment is amen. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, great. Does anybody want to add anything else or footnote anything? or? Uh, this is Larry. You can follow our journey at stillworking9to5.com that has all of our film festivals coming up and, you know, we'll be streaming and our theatrical. We'll have all our information on there. Yeah, and we've got a lot coming up all around the world. So we're actually, we're doing amazing on the film festival circuit. A lot of the film festivals want it. And we're also really proud. We're doing amazing on Rotten Tomatoes. We're holding a 93%, which our sales agent said you rarely have the critics on your side, but you guys even have the critics on your side because we've got great reviews from everybody. So we're excited about that. And then um, July 21st, we're excited with Zoe here in Long Beach. We're going to be hosting an ERA screening. It's on the 99 year anniversary of the ERA. So we're going to have a special screening down here in Long Beach. So we're excited about that. 